Crested in the Afternoon is a co-production of Ave Maria Radio and EWTN Radio and carried across the EWTN Global Catholic Radio Network. Broadcasting from the studios of Ave Maria Radio in Ann Arbor, Michigan, Al Cresta is ready for conversations of consequence. This is Cresta in the Afternoon. Good afternoon to you all, and welcome to another hour of Cresta in the Afternoon. As we continue talking about the things that matter most. As you may have heard in the first hour, Al's a little under the weather today. He'll be back, Lord willing, on Monday. But we have lots of other things to talk about here on this, in our case, in Southeast Michigan, very snowy Friday afternoon. If uh, someone asked you, if you're, you're married, did you want to grow in your marriage, grow in your relationship with your spouse, and have both of you grow in your relationship with God? Think most people would say yes. That's why you're listening to Catholic Radio. You're the kind of Catholics who are always looking to continue to grow deeper in their faith. But there's always the okay. I want to do it, but how do I do it? Well, Dan and Amber Demite have put together a 33-day at-home study for couples who want to improve their entire family's walk with Jesus and incorporate the virtues of poverty, chastity, and obedience to becoming the spouse, parent, and Catholics you've always wanted to be. Especially during Lent, this is a great time to do this kind of devotional material. And uh, they'll be joining us in the first segment of this hour. And then later on, we'll be sitting down with Lydia McGrew, who is a uh, very widely published analytical philosopher who specializes in epistemology, probability theory, and the philosophy of religion. And she's put together a book called Hidden in Plain View, Undesigned Coincidences in the Gospels and Acts. You can visit her at LydiaMcGrew.com. And her study today... Uh, revives an old argument that unfortunately has kind of fallen by the wayside. And it's the way that the Gospels, the Book of Acts, and the Pauline letters all fit together like a puzzle. And if you understand this, this actually supports the historicity of the Gospels. Uh, So Lydia is joining us looking at these undesigned coincidences and how they strengthen the case for biblical accuracy. One other thing I wanted to touch on real quick is a... This has been an ongoing prayer request. If you're, especially if you're on Facebook, you've been probably hearing about the Van Vickle family. Uh, Dave is a podcaster with Ascension Press. He and his wife Amber have been very vocal in their struggle over the last few years as uh, Amber has battled cancer. Amber now has gone on to be with Jesus. She passed away a few days ago. Uh, for us here at Ave Maria Radio, losing a loved one to cancer. I mean, we can all relate to that. Certainly with us, with what we went through with Nick Tom a few years ago, we can relate to that as well. So uh, we're all praying for Amber and the Van Vickle family. That's all things that are coming up in this hour of Cresta in the Afternoon. But first, let's get to the news. Thanks, Brian. Good afternoon, everyone. This is your Ave Maria Radio News for Friday, March 3rd. It's the Feast of St. Catherine Drexel. Today's news brought to you by Visiting Angels, providing loving care and assistance for seniors in need at visitingangels.com. Attorneys for disgraced lawyer Alec Murdoch say a key video that was a part of his trial didn't help their case. Jim and I were getting prepared four or five months ago, and, you know, we were looking for a way to get around. We call it the lie. I mean, every time it's the lie. How do you get around it? How do you explain it? And apparently he didn't. Dick Harpoolian speaking to NBC News about the kennel video. Prior to that, fellow attorney Jim Griffin said no deal was offered by prosecution and there was no negotiations in the case. Murdoch, a once prominent and wealthy attorney, was sentenced to life in prison for killing his wife and son. An appeal is expected. 
The president is meeting with the Chancellor of Germany at the White House to discuss their mutual support for Ukraine in its war with Russia. You help Ukraine meet its basic needs like food, health, heating, and uh, you continue to give them, put, maintain the pressure on Putin, and uh, it is undercutting his ability to fight this war. Speaking from the Oval Office, President Biden added Russia's invasion has pushed countries closer to NATO. The U.S. is sending Ukraine another $400 million in military aid. There's a new push in Congress to make daylight savings time permanent. Florida Senator Marco Rubio is introducing a bill this week that would keep the country on daylight savings time all year long. Backers say it would reduce car crashes and cut down on cardiac issues associated with the time change. Florida Governor Ron DeSantis is accusing members of his own party of sitting back like potted plants in the culture debates. While speaking to top GOP donors, DeSantis called out Republicans for not doing more to push back against woke ideology. From your Ave Maria Radio.net news desk, I'm Steve Clark. I'm Al Cresta. Marriage has been, for me, and uh, I'll let Sally speak for herself when we get a chance, but really for me, it's been the opportunity to come up against uh, many of my own shortcomings. But also learning to love has been a lifelong project. Um, And I love being married. Uh, I love being a father. And I am saddened when I hear people no longer enthused by the challenges and the joys of both marriage and fatherhood. And if that's the case, then I would suggest you take advantage of what my guests are offering here. My guests are Dan and Amber DeMattei. They have given a 33-day self-guided retreat for Catholic couples. It's called Three Secrets to Holiness in Marriage. Uh, Dan and Amber um, met while they were serving as missionaries for Net Ministries back in 2004. Dan appeared on the A&E reality show, God or the Girl, which followed his discernment to the priesthood or married life, and they ended up marrying in 2007. Dan is a Catholic speaker and youth minister who founded and serves as executive director of missions and advancement for a remarkable uh, project uh, of summer camps. And he is host of EWTN's Encounter Program. Amber volunteers in youth ministry, speaks at parish missions, and uh, works at home raising the four children. Dan, Amber, it's good to have you with me. Thanks. Thanks so much for having us. Yeah, thanks, Al. It's awesome to be on the show. Listen, this is uh, what I think can be stressed about the book here is that it is not just another book on marriage. This is a self-guided retreat. So, Dan, why don't you tell me a little bit about formatting the book this way? Yeah, you know, it's so. It, sometimes it's so hard to go on a marriage retreat. Yeah, to find a babysitter and get away for the weekend when yeah. so many uh, obligations at home. And so Amber and I just kept getting more and more parents asking us, "Can you please plan retreats?" And then when we would go to see, like, "Hey, who wants to come?" It would be really hard for them to to get away. So we wanted to create a retreat that, uh, you know, you could cuddle up on the couch, drink your uh, your hot tea or your wine or whatever it is, and uh, do the retreat every single night. So it's very simple. There's a three-day reflection with 
uh, in every, I mean, a three-page reflection uh, for each day, and then a few discussion questions that really hit home on the key topics that married couples should be talking about. You know, while in the early years of marriage, I think couples may be, uh, you know, more more aware of their need to grow in uh, union and in love with one another, cooperating together, uh, being one flesh. Uh, but this also, in my mind, this remains true, even as you go on in married life. Uh, and you never reach a place where you say, I no longer need to think uh, deliberately and intentionally about bettering or uh, deepening uh, the marriage mm-hmm. bond. So th- this is not just for young marrieds. No, not at all. No, I think this is great for all ages. I mean, if you think about it, when you when you work in a job, you're always going to continuing at conferences if you want to get better. And this is exactly that. It's how do we get better at living our vocation? And realistically, at the beginning of your vocation, you're really excited and you invest a lot in in each other as husband and wife. But then once you get um, the kids in the picture and the busy schedules, a lot of times investing in the most important relationship in the family uh, falls to the wayside. Not only do I love the retreat format, the self-designed uh, retreat here, but you, your three secrets uh, for holiness in marriage pick up on the vows <laughs> of poverty, chastity, and obedience. So you've got conjugal chastity, conjugal poverty, conjugal obedience. So let's begin with the first secret, uh, conjugal chastity. Who wants to take it? Yeah, go yeah, ahead. Yeah, um... Yeah, thanks, Jen. Um, you know, it's funny because a lot of times we have this mentality that chastity is just something we embrace while we're waiting for marriage. Exactly. Um, when we come into marriage, it becomes just all the more important because it's no longer um, something that we're putting off, but something that we're actually embracing the fullness of love, the fullness of self-gift to honor and love and support our marriage. It's, it's for the good of our children. I mean, we... And it's funny, you know, you watch these sitcoms and the idea of intimacy in marriage has really been so mocked in our society and it's been laughed at. And in this book, we want to really um, dive into and beg the Lord to just increase the intimacy that we have between one another, um, physically, emotionally, spiritually. How can we give more to one another, not less, just like you said, you know, when you're newlywed, there's so much zeal for intimacy, be it physical or emotional. But mm-hmm. as we continue to journey in our marriage, we should be diving deeper into the mystery of one another and at the same time deeper into intimacy with the Lord himself. Yeah, I, I couldn't agree more. And in what ways do couples uh, maybe unintentionally lie to one another uh, about uh, you know, the marital act? Oh, that's a really good question. You know, I think the simple simple answer is that, you know, love is self-giving and life-giving. And whenever whenever love violates the self-giving and life-giving nature of the marital act, it's a lie with the body. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, it'd be a lie to say, I give you all of myself except for my reproductive side. You know, that's a lie with the body. It's not a complete self-gift. What Jesus... The goal of this retreat is to help us fall deeper in love with uh, one another through falling deeper in love with Jesus Christ. And so we don't just look at 
what is conjugal chastity, we look at who, well, who is Christ nice. in the chaste. And when we understand Jesus' self-giving love, we, and we see that he poured out 100% of himself on the cross, then in, in and through that, only in and through that, do we discover what it means to be a complete self-gift to our spouse. And so, um, really, I mean, it would be uh, one of the reasons I think this book is such a gift for married couples is because it's not just a book on marriage. It's a book on mm-hmm. uh, on Jesus yeah. and, 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 and falling deeper in love with who Jesus is, we we actually discover what marriage is and what it means for us to be a spouse. Yeah, this is yeah. this I is mean, really if we're just... discipleship Sorry. in marriage is what this is. I mean, this is how to yeah. be an authentic disciple. Uh, yeah. So you've got conjugal chastity, which also deals with habits, promoting conjugal chastity, fostering cha- uh, chastity in our children. You have the second secret is conjugal poverty, though. Jesus, uh, though he was rich, yet became poor for our sake. And you meditate upon mm-hmm. Jesus, the poor. Uh, tell us how we may not get this. Um, I don't think this is a common meditation on people's part yeah. to think about Jesus as the poor and how I'm supposed to be imitating him. Amber, you want to take that? Yeah. Yeah, um, you know, I think the poverty piece of this book is probably the most scandalous. It's probably the one that we get the most eye rolls about yeah. um, because there's a there's something deep within us that wants to provide for our family, and I think that that's a God given gift um, to desire to to provide for our family of and course, yeah. to do our best and to give to them. Um, but this idea of poverty, um, we in the book we go into the story of the rich young man and how he walked away sad because he had so much. And that is so contradictory to our American way of life. How often do you hear that you can be rich, young, and unhappy, right? Those tend to be (laughs) the goals of what success looks like, right? We don't want to grow old. We want to be as rich as possible and just have as much stuff. So what we've found in our marriage, and there's just so many distractions when you enter in, to a worldly vocation with a heavenly mindset, and you've got to mow the grass and build a home and make it comfortable and pay for the children's education. And there's so much stuff shoved at you at every moment that these are the things you need to be comfortable and fulfilled. And what Anna and I have found through our marriage is that the more stuff we have, the more distracted we are from the heart of Christ. Yeah. And we thought a call in our lives not to focus on making a living, but rather to focus on making a giving yes. and finding all the ways that we can to, to offer the blessings that, the God, that God has given us to, to others, that they can live a life of justice and that others may have what they need instead of us having more of what we simply want. You know, this is interesting because I think many uh, people and many young Catholics begin to think after marriage, well, what I'm going to do is we're going to get up to a certain level of income, and then we're safe. Then maybe we can think about being more charitable and giving. What you're saying is build that in from the beginning. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. It was, uh, you know, I think sometimes what young married couples do is they create a lifestyle that's dependent on two incomes, and then all of a sudden the first baby comes and the wife wants to stay home to raise the children and now all of a sudden they've placed themselves in a situation where they've built a lifestyle that's not sustainable. And 
Mm-hmm. You know, as we were writing this book, we we discovered that the the three secrets to holiness in marriage are poverty, chastity, and obedience. And the three leading causes of divorce are financial problems, uh, marital infidelity, and lack of communication. And yep. the leading cause of divorce in America is fights over finances. Yep. And it's yeah. be- because it causes a great amount of stress and it causes a great amount of turmoil. But when you surrender, I love to tell men, hey, fathers, you're not the provider of your families. I want to take that burden off of you. Like, God the Father is the provider of your families, and if he <laughs> provides for the birds of the sky, then how would he not provide for his children who love him, right? Mm-hmm. So, um, You might be the by the way, Dan, you, might, you and Amber may be the first people I've ever interviewed who actually said that. I don't think I've ever heard anybody in 30 years of interviewing actually say uh, to, fa- to dads, look, uh, you're not the provider. God Father is the yeah. provider. And uh, most yeah. people kind of skirt around the birds of the air passage, you know. Yeah. <laughs> they figure that's for well, priests and nuns, maybe. Yeah, yeah exactly. And that's, that's what the scriptures do. I mean, that's what this book is doing. It's have we actually embraced the Gospels? Like, Jesus, he's such a, a beautiful um, example of what how to live our life. And he's not an example of how to live celibate life. He's, how to, he's an example of how to live the Christian life. And yeah. so, um, you know, what we try to do is go, especially in this poverty section, is really go into the heart. I mean, Jesus entered into the world as poor as they come, right? He was yeah. born. The Holy Family was a poor family. They they had to offer two turtle doves because they couldn't afford to be official offering at right. the stage of the temple. Yeah. They were financially poor. They were a, a, a migrant family. They had to flee to Egypt. Uh, imagine, I mean, Joseph with no job in a new country. Uh, they were Un- foreigners. Unfortunately, the music has come up on us. We're out of time. But we'll talk again. And I want to stress, this is a great book, Three Secrets of Holiness in Marriage. Four in five college students said they are concerned for their safety while on campus. Did you know once your child turns 18, you're no longer legally recognized by hospitals to make critical care decisions? Without the proper protective documents, you may even be denied access to your child's information. With My Life Angels, you'll be instantly alerted if they enter an ER with everything you need to ensure they get life-affirming care. MyLifeAngels.com. Use Ave 20 and get 20% off your subscription. We are the pro-life generation, passionate about building the culture of life in our health care and in our nation. But not all health care options are equally pro-life and some provide morally objectionable procedures. CMF Curo is different. CMF Curo is a pro-life Catholic healthcare ministry providing a pathway for its members to build the culture of life in their healthcare choices, not destroy it. Learn more about CMF Curo at MyCatholicHealthCare.com. That's MyCatholicHealthCare.com. This program is brought to you in part by Charity Mobile, a proud partner of Ave Maria Radio for over 15 years. Charity Mobile is the pro-life cell phone company and has sent nearly $2 million to thousands of pro-life charities. 4G LTE coverage is available nationwide, and 5% of your monthly plan price goes to your favorite pro-life charity. A video introduction is available at CharityMobile.com. Charity Mobile, everyday living, effortless giving. CharityMobile.com. Hi, I'm Dr. Greg Popchak. And I'm Lisa Popchak. Want a better family life this Lent? Join the Catholic Home 40 Days for Families Challenge. Lent calls us to do more to share God's love with others. The best place to start doing that is in our families. 
Go to CatholicHOM.com to download the premium version of the Catholic Home app. Use the promo code AVE for 50% off the first month. Discover how God wants to transform your family life this Lent with the 40 Days for Families Challenge at CatholicHOM.com. This week on Christ is the Answer, it's the beginning of Lent, and Father John wants to help us prepare for Easter. Let's start out with a question. What are you doing to prepare for Lent? The Church has so many faithful ways for us to traverse this season of fasting so that we can get the most out of prayer and penance. Join us this week as Father John wants to help us get the most out of Lent, as well as how Jesus wants us to pray. Tune in for Christ is the Answer, Monday through Fridays at 11 a.m. on Ave Maria Radio. Christian in the Afternoon is underwritten by the following nonprofit organization, Real Estate for Life. Buying or selling your home or business property? Real Estate for Life can connect you to one of 900 pro-life real estate agents around the world. When Real Estate for Life receives a referral fee, they donate 75% to Ave Maria Radio and Human Life International. More information at realestateforlife.org or 877-LIFE-US-1. That's realestateforlife.org. Resetting your password, unsubscribing from emails, printing anything. Why are simple things sometimes so complicated? Thankfully, with an auto owner's insurance independent agent, getting the right coverage for your business doesn't have to be one of them. So you can get back to more important things, like learning how that printer works. That's simple human sense. Call Choice Insurance Agency at 734-641-4200. Would you get on a plane that doesn't have a pilot? Investing in passive index mutual funds may present the same issue. The Ave Maria mutual funds are actively managed by seasoned investment professionals to help you meet your investment goals in a morally responsible way. Ave Maria funds are managed to conform to pro-life and pro-family values. Long-term investors could invest in the no-load Ave Maria mutual funds. You can learn more about the Ave Maria mutual funds at 866-AVE-MARIA or visit AveMariaFunds.com. Good afternoon, I'm Al Cresta. There's a powerful argument for the historicity of the Gospels that has been uh, un- really uh, neglected and underdeveloped uh, in recent years. It's the way that the Gospels and other uh, New Testament documents, uh, Acts, the letters of St. Paul, how they actually fit together like pieces of a puzzle. My guest, Olivia McGrew, uh, is taking a close look at what might be called undesigned coincidences that show up in the uh, Gospels and how they actually form uh, a case, a strong case, for uh, biblical accuracy, uh, the reliability of the witnesses. Lydia McGrew is a widely published analytic philosopher who specializes in classical and formal epistemology, uh, probability theory, and philosophy of religion. She's the author of Hidden in Plain View, Undesigned Coincidences in the Gospels and Acts. Lydia, good to make your acquaintance. Great to be on the show, Al. Let's start with the, the, the phrase, undesigned coincidences. What, what do you mean? What I mean by an undesigned coincidence is what I call an incidental interlocking that points to truth. It's a way that two accounts fit together, and the best explanation of their fitting together is that both 
authors had separate access to the truth. And so one of them will give you a part of the truth that he knew from his witnesses Mm -hmm. or from remembering, and the other will give you another part, and then they fit together to form a complete and satisfying picture. Can you give me an example? Yeah, it's really best seen by examples. Um, One really good one that I like to talk about starts in Matthew 14. Mm -hmm. And in Matthew 14, we find Herod uh, speaking to his servants and being very superstitious about the rumors he's hearing about Jesus. And he says, this must be John the Baptist risen again from the dead. And Herod felt guilty because he had beheaded John the Baptist. But the question arises there, how in the world did did Matthew know what Herod was saying to his servants. And we might think this is just a fictional detail that Matthew put in to make the story more interesting. Uh But if we go over to Luke 8, we find that uh, Luke, in a totally different context, lists some women who were followers of Jesus. And one of the women he lists is Joanna, the wife of Husa, Herod's household manager. And this is in a totally different context, and yet it shows us how the followers of Jesus could have had intimate acquaintance with what was going on in Herod's household and what Herod was musing to his servants. So that's just one example of many in the New Testament. Yeah, that, that is a wonderful example. I mean, here, so, so in fact, we have uh, uh, Joanna, whose um, mm-hmm. husband is uh, within Herod's household. He has access to the conversations going on in the household. And uh, so could very, uh, very plausibly be considered a source for this conversation that shows up actually in Matthew. That's right. That's exactly right. I love that. That's very good. So the second passage then explains the first. Matthew uh, could have known about Herod's comment to his servants because the wife of one of those servants was a follower of Jesus. It's great. Yes, um, and many of them take that form of a question and an explanation. Sometimes they take a form that both of them are um, describing the same fact, only uh, from different perspectives. So there can be different forms that these take, but some of the easiest ones to explain do take that question-answer format. Mm-hmm. You also uh, point out another of these undesigned coincidences. In, J- in John chapter 6, for instance, Jesus asks Philip, where to buy bread. This is just prior to the, the miraculous feeding of the 5,000. Why Philip? Yep. <laughs> I mean, John doesn't give us any explanation. It's just one of those, it's there, it's a detail, and it's not self-explanatory. So, why Philip? Well, the, the answer appears to be, now, of course, Jesus is teasing him, because he doesn't really want them to buy bread. He's going to miraculously produce right. bread. And, it, and John says this, he says he said this to test them, for he himself knew what he would do, but still, why Philip? But we find that, um, according to Luke, this took place near to um, Bethsaida, which mm-hmm. was a little town on the uh, northeastern shore of the Sea of Galilee, And then when you go to a totally different passage in John, not even the same context at all, the original calling of the God, of of the, um, some of the disciples, you find that Philip was actually from the area of Bethsaida. So Jesus (laughs) is turning to Philip and he's saying, hey, um, hey, where can we, where can we get food for all these people? (laughs) Who who are are the local bakers here? here. (laughs) Exactly. (laughs) That's good. That's good. Um, and, and, and again, the, the point here is that if the Gospels were invented or fabricated, there'd be no particular reason for John to report that Jesus asked Philip where to buy the bread. 
because there'd be no particular reason for listing Philip as a native of Bethsaida. He leaves that out. Yeah, yeah. Isn't it something? So if you were fabricating it, you'd give both sides of it. Yes, that's right. Kind of leave something unexplained and leave your your readers or your hearers to kind of go rummaging around in another gospel and find an obscure detail in another gospel that would explain your gospel. That's not how a forger or somebody fabricating a story would operate. That's right. They would control the the circumstances of disclosure uh, a lot more carefully. Right. Yeah. Yeah. No. Very good. Um, you also has another example here uh, from John chapter 21, where Jesus famously asks Peter, do you love me three times? And that uh, you know, mirrors Peter's three denials. But you point out that there's a, a minor detail that's easy to overlook, and that is that the first time Jesus asked the question, his words are, uh, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? What's significant about that? Well, he appears to be saying, do you love me more than these other guys love me? It's not, do you love me more than this other, you love this other stuff, but do you love me more than these guys love me? Mm -hmm. And it's very strange because Jesus is always telling them not to compete with each other. And so here Jesus seems to be encouraging competition by asking Peter if he loves him more than the other ones do. Um, But we find an explanation for that, again, not in John, but in Matthew and Mark, because back the night of, of Jesus' betrayal, Monday, Thursday, Jesus prophesied that they would all forsake him and flee. And Peter said, even if they all do, I will not. Now, John does, you know, tell about Jesus uh, and, John, and Peter's discussion and how uh, Peter said he would never forsake Jesus, but John does not tell that Peter compared himself to the other disciples like that and boasted that he was better than they were, and he would stick to Jesus even if they didn't. That's only found in the synoptics. So Jesus is alluding to that, and he's saying to to Peter, do you really love me more than they do? And Peter is forced humbly to just say, I I love you, Lord, but his pride has been humbled because he did deny Jesus, uh, contrary to what he had boasted. Hmm. You know, I... This is uh, I mean, this is fascinating, and, I, and, and it's also a little surprising to me that um, this approach has not been uh, very far developed. I mean, you, you're doing it here, and I, I know that in uh, Richard Bachman's book on the the witnesses uh, that uh, he does a little bit of this too. But I, is this a an older approach that's coming back into uh, we're realizing its, its value now, or is this entirely new? It is not entirely new. It's so old that it's new, but just as you say, <laughs> it was originated by William Paley, who is better known uh, yeah. nowadays for his design argument. Right. He was an 18th century clergyman, and uh, he actually coined the term undesigned coincidences mm-hmm. back in the, in the 1700s, and then in the 1800s, that is the 19th century, a guy named J.J. Blunt wrote a book called Undesigned Scriptural Coincidences, where he did a lot of these in the Gospels. Uh, William Paley wrote a book called The Horai Polini, from which I drew most of my examples on Acts hmm. and uh, St. Paul's Epistles. Yeah. So then it kind of got dropped by scholars, and then my husband and I are trying to bring it back. Yeah. Yeah, this this is I mean this is fascinating and we really does open uh some new uh possibilities for not only substantiating the historical accuracy of the gospels but also for creating 
a stronger, uh, a, a more textured sense of community, too. I mean, the, the idea that um, uh, Joanna's husband, to think of Joanna's husband as being there in Herod's household, right? And then passing this along, and exactly. and, and then it's picked up by uh, another one of the uh, the, the, go- the uh, gospel writers. Uh, I don't know, it's, it's ex- rather exciting uh, to me. Now, how does this fit in? It gives us a sense of the vividness yeah. of what was going on at the time. Absolutely, yeah. Now, how does it fit in with you know mainstream critical scholarship today? Uh, I'm very much uh, going against the stream. I'm, I'm swimming upstream. Okay. Um, Partly because this argument has been dropped, but also because I take far more seriously the traditional theory that these were written either by eyewitnesses or by the immediate associates of eyewitnesses, no more than like one removed from actual eyewitnesses, not how does John redact an earlier tradition. One of my uh, endorsers referred to me as the anti-redaction critic, and I'm very actually very proud of that. And I'm like, (laughs) yes, I am the anti-redaction critic. So my findings are also in tension with the idea that a later gospel like John is less reliable than an earlier gospel like Mark, which is often just taken as a given in New Testament scholarship. So I'm really uh, taking this very robust idea that the differences in the Gospels are not the result of uh, redaction and still less the result of fictional redaction, but are actually the result of the kind of normal variance that we find in witness testimony. Yeah. I should let uh, everyone know, too, that, I mean, the the people who are endorsing uh, your approach here are uh, some of the, the clearest and most respected thinkers within uh, evangelical uh, Protestant circles, and uh, I don't doubt that a number of Catholic scholars would also uh, be enthusiastic about this approach. Um, now, let me let me ask um, where does is this the kind of approach that we will that we can expect will expand? In other words. Have you exhausted the references, or can we expect that as... No, I don't think so. Yeah, okay. In fact, um, someone, people send me suggestions all the time for new ones, and then I sift through them, and sometimes I say, oh, I'm not really taken by that one, that one doesn't grab me, or, yeah, that's a really good one. And I just came up with a new one the other day. I was actually reading Richard Balcom's book, and he doesn't suggest it, but I was sort of inspired mm-hmm. by it, concerning the women at the cross uh, that I can maybe discuss if we have time. Yeah. But, um, so, yes, we can expect it to expand. Okay, hold it there. Uh, Lydia, we'll come back on the other side of the break and continue the conversation uh, with that example uh, of the women at the cross. My guest, Lydia McGrew, is the author of Hidden, hidden in plain view. Undesigned coincidence in the Gospels and Acts. Really, a, a very exciting uh, and insightful look at the biblical documents and reasserting their historicity. Are you woke or are you awake? Renewal Ministries and Ave Maria Radio invite you to spend an evening with Noelle Maring for her presentation, Awake, Not Woke. Noel will look at the pseudo-religious as well as the political character of the woke movement. It's Tuesday, March 7th from 7 to 9.30 p.m. at Father Gabriel Richard High School in Ann Arbor. You can register for free in the slider at AveMariaRadio.net. Again, that's at AveMariaRadio.net. When the news is full of pain and need, Jesus calls us to love our neighbor. 
We invite you to partner with Hope Clinic to care for the whole person with free food, medical, dental, and behavioral health care, all in Jesus' name. Last year, Hope Clinic was ranked the number one charity in Michigan by Charity Navigator. And we're the first free clinic in the United States to offer behavioral and mental health. Sign up to pray, pay, and stay as a volunteer at thehopeclinic.org. Welcome to an Advanced Dentistry Center family. This is Dr. Metti and our team strives to treat you like family in a loving and compassionate way as we focus on serving you in a Christ-like manner. We do this by emphasizing prevention and general well-being for a lifetime. Our private practice is small, personal, state-of-the-art, and innovative with the goal to educate and motivate our patients in improving their oral health. It is through a partnership with you that you will achieve the goals for your smile. Advanced Dentistry is serious about the level of care we provide with attention to details and an exceptional level of care, skill, and judgment. We are thrilled for the opportunity to serve you. Dr. Matthew and the team invite you to visit them at AdvancedDentistryCenter.com or call them at 248-594-9592. That's 248-594-9592. AdvancedDentistryCenter.com I was once lost and now I'm found. It's one of my favorite songs. I wrote a talk on surrender that was based on Amazing Grace. I and my niece sing verses of the song throughout my talk. It is through Amazing Grace that we're saved. It is through His grace we are found. Surrendering is a big part of my testimony story. Writing our testimony is a great exercise, especially if you are in a leadership position. Knowing your own story is part of sharing the good news. I'm a person who needs to be in control, who needs to plan things out. It took me a long time to accept that God's plan is not always my plan, and His timing is not always my timing. When I've surrendered, great things have happened, like meeting my husband, having a child, starting my own communications and coaching company, and being on Catholic Radio. If you feel lost, surrender. Through God, you will be found. This has been a Christ Center communication message. I'm Vanessa Denhagarmo, a communications evangelist and host of Epiphany. Underwritten in part by this not-for-profit. Are you looking for peace? Longing for joy? Want to meet the giver of all goodness? God is calling the laity to bring Ignatian prayer into a suffering world. Work for the new evangelization. Go to LordTeachMeToPray.com. Order your free digital training and manual. Find true happiness and everlasting joy. Go to LordTeachMeToPray.com. And click on the red button today. It's free. Approved by the USCCB. Hello, husbands and wives. It's the evil one. Just stopping by to say that I absolutely love it when you don't communicate with your spouse. I celebrate when you're stubborn and selfish, and I am positively thrilled that you skip simple solutions like turning to God and attending the Retrovi Marriage Ministry. <laughs> Retrovi is an intensive program that teaches simple but effective techniques to make marriage work by working together. Learn more at helpourmarriage.org. That's helpourmarriage.org. And good afternoon to you. I'm Al Cresta. My guest, uh, analytic philosopher, writer, scholar, Lydia McGrew, is the author of Hidden in Plain View, Undesigned Coincidences in the Gospels uh, and the Acts. And what what's fascinating about her approach is that she's uh, showing that apparent, sometimes apparent discrepancies actually point 
to independent and reliable contact with the actual events of the uh, the Jesus story, the you know the gospel narratives, and uh, so it looks as though we have an additional uh, bit of evidence here as to the uh, not only the plausibility but the accuracy of the New Testament gospels. Let's talk. You were mentioning uh, before the break, Lydia, that we've got uh, this example of the women at the cross that uh, Richard Balcom brings up. Go ahead and develop that. Yeah, so Richard Balcom um, just has some references to the women who were at the tomb and were also at the cross and uh, to what the angels said to them. And then I was inspired by this to think of it as an undesigned coincidence, which he does not explicitly do. Uh, we find that. Uh, in that very same passage in Luke 8 that I mentioned earlier, where he talks about the women who were with Jesus in Galilee, he says that they, they followed Jesus and they ministered to him out of, their, out of their means. So they were actually giving money to Jesus. And there in Luke 8, he lists several of them. He mentions Mary Magdalene there, mm-hmm. actually. He mentioned, I believe that's the first mention of Mary Magdalene. He mentions Joanna, as we said. He mentions someone named Susanna. Um, and then he says, and, and many others. So that's that list. And then you go to the women at the cross discussed in Matthew and Mark, and we find that uh, Matthew and Mark are both saying there were these women who had followed him out of Galilee and were at the cross, and they've never previously mentioned that there were women, you know, in Galilee with mm-hmm. him. They don't have a parallel passage to Luke, uh, Luke 8's list. And their list is partially overlapping, but partially uh Independent, they mm-hmm. say Mary Magdalene, but then they mention someone named Salome. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, Mark does, and they mention uh, someone named Mary, the mother of James and Joseph. Mm-hmm. So it's like only a partially overlapping list. And then when you go to the account of the um, the account of the words to the women at the tomb from the angel that Luke gives. The angel says to them, do you remember when you were in Galilee how he said that he has to die (laughs) and rise again? And it says that they remembered his words. And Luke specifically says in in chapter 24 that the women who were at the tomb included, among others, Mary Magdalene and Joanna. Luke brings Joanna up again. Hmm. uh, And Mary, the mother of James, and then other women. So Luke's list in both of these places are only partially overlapping with um, Mark's and Matthew's, but it becomes clear from all these passages fit together that these women really were with Jesus in Galilee, and they even remembered what he had said to them there. And so they, they mutually confirm each other by confirming these facts, but none of them is copied from each other, because if Luke was copying from... Uh, Matthew and Mark and trying to just insert these names earlier in his gospel, he would have copied the same names. He wouldn't have given slightly different names. So I thought that was very exciting, and I just came up with that about two days ago, <laughs> uh, inspired while I was reading Dr. Balcom. Yeah, that's great. Now, we've been talking about the um, synoptic gospels, uh, they ex- how they can explain John, how John explains the synoptics, how the synoptics explain one another. You also go to Acts, and uh, the letters of St. Paul. Why is Acts important? Acts is tremendously important because it's a kind of a bridge between the Gospels and the letters of St. Paul and the rest of the New Testament. And it's also a bridge between the relatively small geographical location in um, 
in the Gospels and what we might call the larger Roman world. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. It also gives us the earliest account of the early church and of preaching, the earliest preaching of the apostles just uh, 50 days after Jesus' crucifixion. So very early, what were they attesting? So uh, Acts is extremely important to our understanding of the kind of risks they were taking and what they were testifying early on. So we definitely uh, would like it if we could confirm the reliability of Acts, and it's exciting to find that we can in many different ways. Well, give me, uh, again, why don't you go ahead and give me an example. Sure. Here's one that I kind of like. You need to, it helps if you read uh, the uh, New American Standard version mm-hmm. of the passage in Acts 18 okay. uh, to see it, but it's about Paul's funding in the city of Corinth. We find in Acts 18 that uh, Paul is in the city of Corinth, and it says that he uh, made tents during the week, and then on Sabbath he was in the synagogue testifying to Jesus and trying to convert his fellow Jews. On the Sabbath, of course, he would have been forbidden to work. And then it says that when Silas and Timothy came down from Macedonia, Macedonia, of course, is north of Greece, north of Corinth, Corinth Paul became, says the uh, NASB, completely devoted to the Word, hmm. preaching mm-hmm. that Jesus was the Christ. Now, what is this completely devoted to the Word? St. Paul was always completely <laughs> devoted to the Word. It's a very, very cryptic <laughs> phrase. That's a good there is point, no yeah. explanation for it in the book of Acts. But if we go over to 2 Corinthians 11, verses 8 and 9, Paul is getting a little defensive about money, as he has a tendency to do. And he's saying to the Corinthians, when I was with you, I didn't take any money from you. Mm-hmm. I took money from other churches to, to be able to be a missionary to you. I didn't ask you for money. And he said, and when I was with you and I was in need, the brothers who came from Macedonia supplied my need. And he doesn't even name them or anything, but here we find an explanation for that phrase, completely devoted to the word. But they brought him money, and so he was able to stop for a while his day job, his his tent-making work, and preach all the time, because Timothy and Silas brought him a contribution from the churches of Macedonia. So it's this wonderful little indirect confirmation of Acts that explains what probably uh, Luke himself observed, that when the men came from Macedonia, Paul was preaching even more often. Wow. Well, you know, it's, these, it's this attention to detail in which these... You, there's remarkable discoveries that can be found, and uh, I I think um, I think probably a lot. I, I know in my case, uh, after my adult life spent reading the uh, the scriptures, that sometimes you pass over the significance of the details. So this you've, this phrase, completely devoted to the word, which showed up in the New American Standard version, um, I'd never thought of that. But that, in a sense, there's kind of a superficial understanding of it, where you would say, well, of course Paul was completely devoted to the preaching of the Word. Why is this being even, this kind of a puff, this is just puffing him here. There's nothing significant about this. But the way you explain it, actually, it indicates that his work schedule has changed. (laughs) He's he's not now preoccupied with having to be a a tent maker uh, during the the week. He can now uh, do full-time preaching. Uh, And I think that's that's important to to pay that kind of attention to detail. That's tremendous. Um, 
And also, if they're getting it right on these little details, you know, sometimes we're tempted to take a kind of a a backing off position and say, well, you know, they got the the main gist of the story right, however we define that. But maybe they didn't really know what they were talking about concerning the details. So it's very exciting to find that it's precisely in the details that they're actually being confirmed in this way, because that really shows somebody was really close to the facts here. And I have numerous details like that um, concerning the author of Acts, whoever he was, that he was a companion of the Apostle Paul, which is a very important thing for the reliability of his work. And he was also the author of the Gospel of Luke, so it's important for the reliability of Luke as well. Yeah, 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 this certainly, uh, Luke Acts definitely uh, bridges uh, the the uh, the first uh, into the second generation. Um, now, we, we taking a look at um, uh, this one particular uh, uh, undesigned coincidence. Uh, give us another example that interfaces uh, St. Paul and uh, the Book of Acts. Sure. So, in um, an epistle to Timothy which are often questioned, by the way, as to their Pauline authorship by more liberal scholars. But St. Paul says to to Timothy, remember how you learned about this, uh, about the scriptures, and how you were taught the scriptures from your earliest youth by your mother, Lois, and by your grandmother, Eunice, from the time you were a child. Now, who is missing from this portrait? Dad. (laughs) That's right. Dad is missing. This is not of a matriarchal society, uh, whether we think of it as a Jewish or a Gentile society, the education of a boy would not normally just fall to his mother and his grandmother. And and Paul has no explanation of this. He obviously is writing to Timothy. He expects Timothy, Timothy knows why he was educated by his mother and his grandmother. Paul doesn't ex- explain it. Right, right. When you go over to the, the book of Acts, and uh, Paul first, you know, takes up with Timothy, Acts Roughly says that uh, he wanted this young man to travel with him, and he was highly spoken of among the Christians. And his mother was a Jewess who believed, his mother is not named there, by the way, but his father was a Greek. And it's clear that by Greek he means a Gentile, not a Jew, not a proselyte or anything, because uh, Luke uses this to explain why he had not yet been circumcised. I guess Dad had drawn the line at that. Mm-hmm. So uh, Paul decided to circumcise Timothy to avoid giving offense to the Jews right. of the region, even though he was already an adult. But Luke is clearly not basing this on anything in Timothy. Timothy probably hadn't even been, the epistle of Timothy had probably not even been written yet, because he doesn't name the mother, he doesn't even mention Grandma, Okay, this is just something that the author of Acts knew when he was accompanying Paul uh, and knew from his friendship with Paul that Timothy's father was a Greek and that his mother was a Jewess who believed. And this dovetails perfectly with what the Apostle Paul himself writes to Timothy in his epistle. Yeah. See, this, this kind of thing, too, plays into this whole question of authorship. I mean, who the heck is going to... If you're... If you're, if this is a later composition uh, in Paul's name by those who have no, uh, you know, serious connection with his circle of influence, they're going to make the mistake, aren't they, of making sure they get Dad's name in there? Um, they're not going to be as careful uh, as an actual, uh, an authentic 
communication would be. That's, I, you, this is very, very exciting. Uh, what, are you working on the follow-up to this? Some other work in New Testament studies, but not a book right at this time. Okay. But I do write a lot of blog posts. All right, I'll be I'll be uh, watching uh, the work, Lydia. We'll talk again, uh, Lord willing. I'd love to follow up on this. That would be wonderful. Go to lydiamcrew.com to get a portal to all my blogs. Okay, we'll do it. Today's programming on 990 WDEO is brought to you in part by a gift from our day sponsor, the Lansing Guild of the Catholic Medical Association. The annual Rose Mass for Catholic Healthcare Workers will be Saturday, March 18th at Christ the King Church in Ann Arbor, followed by a dinner at Fox Hills Country Club in Plymouth. Email cmalansing at gmail.com for dinner tickets. That's cmalansing at gmail.com. The Bench Pub in Livonia is a proud supporter of Ave Maria Radio, where all are welcome and treated like family. During this Lenten season, we are bringing back our delicious beer-battered cod, golden fries, and served with our house-made coleslaw. The Bench Pub is located on 5 Mile, west of Farmington Road in Livonia. Mention Ave Maria Radio and receive a 10% discount. Meet friends this Lent at the Bench Pub in Livonia and enjoy their Lenten Friday fish fry. Maybe you've been hearing a lot about the need to make a spiritual communion while participating from home in a live-streamed or broadcast Mass. There's more to it than reciting the act of spiritual communion. We should begin by having sincere repentance for our sins and affirming our belief that Christ's death redeemed us. Next, we call to mind the spiritual gifts found in Christ's sacrifice and thank God earnestly for them. Now we are disposed to pray the traditional prayer of spiritual communion. Jesus, I embrace you and unite myself wholly to you. Ave Maria School of Law is the Roman Catholic Law School in the United States. Consistently ranked in the Princeton Review as one of the best and most conservative law schools, as well as pre-law's most devout law school. Ave Maria School of Law provides a traditional legal education while emphasizing how the law intersects with the Catholic intellectual tradition and natural law philosophy. Ave Maria School of Law, unabashedly Catholic, consistently excellent. For more information, visit AveMariaLaw.edu. Thanks for being with us over the last two hours. I hope you all have a very pleasant weekend. If you go to AveMariaRadio.net, lots of things there to check out. You can follow up on today's conversations. We'll have books there. All three of our guests today had books. And so uh, Lee Strubble's books there, his Case for Faith, Case for Christ, and Case for Miracles. You can get a hold of those. Uh, certainly would recommend Dan and Emmer Debate's uh, Secrets for Holiness and Marriage. And also Lydia McGrew's book on the Undesigned Coincidences of the Gospels and Acts. Also to see at AveMariaRadio.net is our newest program. We just talked the other day with Chuck Gatica, and you can uh, learn more about his work and his health and wellness segments. And uh, coming up on Monday is a long conversation with Noelle Maring. We're very excited to have her in town again. And uh, she's discussing this whole philosophy of are you awake or are you woke? If you uh, talk to people out and about on the streets today, they're either very, very proud that they're woke or they're very, very proud that they're not woke. Well, Jesus doesn't call us to be woke or not woke. Jesus calls us to be awake. 
And this uh, woke philosophy is really come onto the forefront of our conversation over the last few years, but it's been building up many years before that. And, and um, Noel does a great job of tracing that history and how this isn't just a political philosophy. It's really a pseudo-religion. And we, of course, would invite you, if you're in the Southeast Michigan, Northern Ohio area, Tuesday evening she'll be giving a talk here in uh, Ann Arbor at Father Gabriel Richard High School. But if you can't make that, you can still catch her on our program Monday at 5 Eastern, and we'll also be doing a video podcast with her that will be available down the road. Other things to come as well, but first, as we go off the air, Catholic Answers Live is ready to take your calls. Have a great weekend, stay warm, and we'll see you on Monday. God bless. Cresta in the Afternoon is a co-production of Ave Maria Radio and EWTN Radio and carried across the EWTN Global Catholic Radio Network. To follow up on any of the guests or information presented on today's program, visit the Cresta Guest Archive at AveMariaRadio.net. That's A-V-E-M-A-R-I-A Radio.net. To listen to this or any other edition of Cresta in the Afternoon, visit the audio archives at AveMariaRadio.net. Or to order a CD of the program, call 734-930-4506 or email orders at AveMariaRadio.net. That's 734-930-4506 or orders at AveMariaRadio.net.